You know, it's interesting with Compass Active launching and Kellen Allen being the director of Compass Active and getting out there. I don't know if you guys tuned in and watched the at-home workout that they released this last week on, on Monday. I think there's another one coming up this week too. But you look at these guys like Kellen and you look at like Michael Tucci and even even Joseph Lopez to a certain extent, right? And you look at these guys and they're out there and they're going, hey, you guys need to do this workout to get in shape. And you look at a guy like Kellen who has worked out for a living for the, the past 10, 12, 15 years. Before that, he was a college athlete and a high school athlete before that. And you go, okay, dude, there's no way if I do 15 airplane push-ups that I'm going to end up looking like you. That doesn't, that doesn't work out. I'm not going to grow to six foot seven and swole up all of a sudden just because I do 15 airplane push-ups. But that's kind of how the, the exercise industry works and, and capitalizes things, isn't it? They sit there and they, they release these, these videos, uh, these commercials of these people that are in like perfect shape. They're just chiseled. And they're like, if you buy this product and work out, you're going to end up looking like me. And we all sit there at home and we go, no, no, that's, that's just not true. It's not going to happen that way. See, if, if we want to get from where we are to the way that somebody who's really chiseled and really in, in good shape looks like, we need to know the, the process to get there. We need to know how to get from where we are to where we want to be. And it doesn't involve buying a Bowflex or doing 15 airplane push-ups and calling it a day. No, it's a, a continued process of ongoing discipline in our lives to be able to produce the effects that we want produced. Well, just like our physical bodies, our spiritual lives also need that attention. And that's what Solomon was driving at last week because he was talking to us about being under the sun versus being over the sun. And we saw last week that we, you and I, need to be living our lives to be over the sun. But in the meantime, while we're here, while we're on this earth, while we are living our lives under the sun, we still have a life to live. And we talked about how we need to receive each day as a gift from God and live each day to the fullest, to live it with all of our might while we do live here on this earth. And now Solomon gets to the, this chapter 10 where he litters through all of these, these proverbs, these short pithy statements that don't seem super connected. But what Solomon's doing now is he's showing us, he's teaching us, what does it now mean for me to live wisely, to live with all my might while I live my life under the sun? What's the blueprints? How do I get from where I'm at to where I want to be as far as being somebody who's living wisely while I live under the sun. The passage that we're looking at this week is gonna help us understand that. It's gonna unpack what wise living under the sun looks like. And we're gonna cherry pick, we're gonna cherry pick five things out of this passage that we wanna focus on and we wanna sharpen and we wanna excel still more in as we strive to live lives of wisdom, of godliness, while we live here under the sun and await the return of Christ. But pick up at the end of chapter 9, verses 13 through 18 with me as we get a running start into where Solomon's going because he illustrates the power of living this kind of life here. He says this, he says, I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in this city a poor wise man. Notice the contrast here. He's poor by the world's standards, but he's a wise man. And he, Solomon says, by his wisdom delivered the city. So here you have this poor, this, this man who from the world's eyes, from the city's eyes was insignificant. He held no power, no authority, even in this small city with but a few people in it. 
But when the, the going got tough, so to speak, when this great king came against the city and began to pile up the siege works against the walls of the city to be able to overcome the walls and overrun the city and conquer the people, it was this poor but wise man, Solomon says, who delivered the city. Yet, no one remembered that poor man, he goes on to say. It's still, even after that, his wisdom wasn't esteemed by men. His wisdom, wisdom wasn't valued by the world or by his fellow citizens in that city. But Solomon says this in verse 16, he says, But I say that that wisdom that that poor man had is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than the weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. So Solomon's given us a picture there of the power of this type of life, the power of a wise life, a life lived well while we live under the sun. And he's used this analogy of this, this poor wise man who delivered the city by his wisdom. And Solomon says, you know what? The, the city didn't really appreciate him the way that he should have, but in the eyes of God, which is what really matters for us, in the eyes of God, the wisdom of that poor man was better than the might of the strongest ruler, though he be the, the one that shouts amongst all of the people. In fact, Solomon says, the one who shouts amongst all of the, the fools. See, wise living while we're living under the sun, it may not gain the world's favor. It may not gain men's applause, but it's going to gain the favor and the applause of the one who really matters, and that is God. And so the rest of our, our passage this week unpacks for us, what does it look like to live that kind of wisdom out? How should I be conducting my life while I live here under the sun so that God is pleased with my life and the life that I live? What does that actually look like? Pick up in verse 1 of chapter 10. And we see our first point here. Solomon says, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. See, the first step, our first point together this week is this. The, the first step to living wisely is to preserve the integrity of your life. To preserve the integrity of your life. To preserve the integrity of something means to guard it against impurities, to guard it against breaking down, uh, to guard it against anything that would compromise it in its, its value and its worth. And Solomon uses this illustration here of a, an ointment that has a, a dead fly floating in it. And he says that that dead fly gives that ointment a stench that, that just destroys everything about it. I want you to think right now about your favorite perfume or your favorite cologne. Maybe some of you out there don't use that yet, but you, maybe you, you should be using it. Uh, but, but think about whatever your favorite scent is that you have, that, that favorite bottle that you have at home. And you, and you love getting the new bottle because you know that you've got it for a, a good time now and you can even lay it on maybe a little bit thick because you got plenty in the bottle, right? But imagine coming home after buying that, that bottle of cologne, that bottle of perfume, and, and you bring it home and you look at the jar a little bit more closely and there in the jar you see floating there even just one tiny maggot. Imagine the, the disgust that you would feel over that. Something that you had been so excited about. Something that was intended by the designer of it to, to make you more appealing to others. Now when you look at it, it is, it's revolting. It's repulsive. And you think to yourself, there's no way that I'm going to spray that on my body. Why? Because there's a, a maggot floating in it. And that's tainted. That's destroyed. That's, that's rendered useless, the entire bottle. Yeah, it's only one, but it's been floating in there and it's, it's corrupted the entire thing. That's what Solomon's talking about here. 
In fact, during the, the day that Solomon was writing, there were flies that could actually get in the ointment of a perfumer's concoction there and in, in entering into that ointment, it would corrupt it and cause it to ferment so that when you applied it to your skin, it would cause the skin to break out in blisters and, and rashes. And so if, if there were flies that got into the, the perfumer's ointment, that just destroyed everything. Even one single tiny solitary fly could ruin the entire batch. Why? Because the integrity of it was compromised. This is Solomon's warning to you and I against allowing even just a little sin to creep into our lives. If we don't guard the integrity of our lives, if we don't preserve the integrity of our lives against any sort of compromise when it comes to our sinfulness in, in, in life, then what we risk is we risk ending up like this, this batch of, of ointment. We, wish, we risk the, the entirety of our lives becoming corrupted even by just a little bit of sin. Solomon uses the word folly there in that verse. He says, so a little folly outweighs honor, wisdom. He likes that word folly. In fact, he, he uses it over and over again in the book of Proverbs. He says this in Proverbs 5.23, the fool dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he's led astray. Proverbs 12.23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of a fool proclaims folly. Proverbs 13, 16, every prudent man acts with knowledge, but a fool flaunts, shows off, showcases his folly. Proverbs 14, 1, the wisest of women builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. It's a little bit of what Solomon is talking about in this verse, that foolishness, folly, sinfulness can destroy what we've worked so hard to build, what we've worked so hard to construct. Proverbs 17, 12, listen to this one, let a man meet a she-bear robbed of her cubs rather than a fool in his folly. That's an amazing statement. Imagine being on a hiking trail and you all of a sudden find yourself between a grizzly bear and her cubs. And Solomon says, it's better for you to be in that position than for you to be a man marked by foolishness, by folly, by sin in your life. It's better for you to be a dead man walking than to be a man who's plagued by foolishness, a man who entertains folly and sinfulness. See, in, in Solomon's eyes, folly is, is more than just foolish living. It's more than that. It's, it's sinful living. It's, it's making poor choices driven by a lack of wisdom. Folly is making poor choices driven by a lack of wisdom. It's rejecting the Lord and rejecting the prescribed way that God wants you to be living your life. It's saying, no thanks, God. I know better. I know what's better for me. I know what feels better. I know what makes me more happy. I know what brings me more satisfaction. And that's how I'm going to live my life. I'm going to set aside what you would want me to do. And Solomon says, no, no, that's, uh, that's a, a horrific outcome that you're laying in store for yourself. It's better for you to meet a, a grizzly bear robbed of her cubs than it is for you to be that type of person. A little folly outweighs, he says, outweighs the, the wisdom and honor of a life otherwise lived before. See, this life is life lived under the sun and for everything that is under the sun. Matthew 6, 22 through 23 says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Again, when we let a little bit in, it can corrupt the entirety of the person. 
We need to preserve our integrity as believers in Jesus Christ. We need to guard the perimeters of our lives. We need to make sure that we're not allowing sin to creep in unnoticed or sin to to lay hold of us that we think, you know what, it's not a big deal. I'll deal with it later. How can our, our lives be impacted negatively as Christians by this? Well, number one, your usefulness to the Lord can be hindered. There's, if you're harboring sin in your life, the way that God wants to use you, the way that God could use you is going to be lessened as a result. You're not going to be a useful servant to the Lord. The second thing building on that is your witness to a lost world is going to be hindered. If you're harboring sin in your life, the power of your testimony, the power of your ability to share the gospel with somebody is going to be lessened. And part of the reason is because you're going to struggle with feeling like a hypocrite when you go out and share the gospel with someone. You're not going to boldly proclaim the truth of God's word. You're not going to boldly call people to to repentance and faith in Christ when you have unconfessed, harbored sin in your life. A third area of your life that's going to be hindered and hurt is your prayer life. Peter talks about this multiple times in the book of 1 Peter, that sin can be a, a, a blockade between us and God when it comes to our prayer life, that our prayers can be hindered because we are, we are harboring unconfessed sin in our life. Another thing that we can face as believers is our eternal reward could be compromised. We're not storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy nor thieves break in and steal. Instead, what we're storing up for ourselves are wood, hay, and stubble that are going to burn away when we stand before the Lord in the, the, the Bema seat on that day. And then the, the final risk, and this really is more of a risk for those that are deceived than anything else, is that your relationship with God might not be what you think it is. You may be professing a relationship with God that you really truly don't have. If you've allowed folly to dominate your life, if you've allowed sin to creep in and lay a hold of your life and you're you're okay with that. You don't mind it. It's okay that you're a companion with sin in your life. It may be that, that you're actually not truly a, a follower of Christ to begin with because the follower of Christ is not going to be comfortable, content, uh, cozy with sin in his life. He or she is going to do everything they can to put sin out of your life. So students, guard your lives. Preserve the integrity of your life. All the different venues that you might think of, make sure that you are walking as a believer in every single one of them. Don't allow even a little bit of sin to creep in because a little bit of sin creeps in and can taint the entire thing. It can ruin the entirety of your witness, your testimony, your relationship with the Lord, your prayer life. All of these things, all of these things can be damaged horribly by unconfessed sin that creeps into our life. We'll look down at verse 12. I said we're going to be cherry picking. There's more Proverbs here. I encourage you to read the whole passage. But for sake of time, jump down to verse 12. Solomon says this, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. This is our second point this week, and it's this. If you want to live wisely while you live life under the sun, realize the power of your words. Realize the power of your words. It's a pretty simple concept, isn't it? We just recently read, maybe about a month ago, in the DBR, 2 Samuel chapter 1. And here we see an example of a guy who doesn't realize how foolish his words were. 
Because here you have a man who comes back from the battlefield where Saul and Jonathan had just been killed. And he comes back to report to King David, well, not yet fully King David or not yet King David, I guess at all. But he comes back to David to report, hey, you know what? Saul is dead. And he says this about it. He says, you know, Saul, I, I found him on the mountain. He was leaning on a spear. He was dying. And he asked me to kill him so that nobody else would, would hurt him and he wouldn't fall into the hands of the, the Philistines. And so I was merciful to him and I, I ended his life on his behalf. And David becomes angry and enraged at this and says, how dare you reach out your hand against the Lord's anointed? And he says, who are you? And the man says this, and this is where his words walk him into uh, trouble more than he already had. He says, I am an Amalekite. Well, that for David was like waving a red uh, flag in, in front of a, a raging bull because the, the Amalekites, just a few chapters earlier we had read, had ransacked Ziklag. Ziklag was the city where David and all of his mighty men and all of his mighty men's families and his own wives were all hanging out while they were on the run from, from Saul. And the Amalekites had come into Ziklag while David and his mighty men were out raiding other cities and they had destroyed Ziklag and kidnapped all of David's uh, men's families, their wives, everybody else. They had take them, taken them all captive. So David and his mighty men rose up and they went after them and they got their men, their, their wives and families back. But the Amalekites were not people that, that David really was too fond of. And so this guy comes back and not only has he killed Saul, but then he admits to David, he says, I'm an Amalekite. And that, that's all David needed. This guy's life was done. It was over. It was done as soon as he had said that he had killed Saul, but even more so now that he admitted to being an Amalekite. Well, sometimes our words get us into just as much trouble as that Amalekite. Sometimes the things that we say have just as much damaging repercussions in our lives as, as those words of that Amalekite as he was boasting in who he was. In fact, recently there was a, a NASCAR driver who was participating in the e-racing. So NASCAR said, hey, you know what? We're going to take our, our sport online and do video games. And so I, they're, in, they're behind their whole rigs. They're doing the racing and everything else. And they're being broadcast just like they would if they were doing an actual race. Well, this guy used a race, racial epithet when he was racing. And it was a word that nobody should ever say. And it was broadcast on this video game streaming platform. And all of a sudden, immediately, his career was done. He lost every single one of his sponsors. He lost his racing team. They fired him from the racing team. And this guy was quickly ascending the ranks of the top NASCAR racers in the world. And he cost himself with one foolish word, millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. See, students, our words have great power, both for good and for evil. Solomon was very aware of this and, and spoke a lot of it in the book of Proverbs as well. He says this in Proverbs 10, 14, the wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. Proverbs 10, 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Proverbs eleven nine, 9, with his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Proverbs 12, 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. Proverbs 12, 18, there's one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 13, 3, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Proverbs 15, 1, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. 
And then my favorite, Proverbs 18, 6. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. I love that one. A fool's lips walk into a fight. You know what? I want to, to get into an argument. I want a conflict. And it says, in his mouth invites a beating. See, our words can have a, a great impact on people. They can do great damage. They can inflict great hurt on relationships and on other individuals. And God cares about our words. In fact, in Matthew 12, 36, Jesus says this. He says, I tell you the truth. On the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Every careless word they speak. There's a day coming when when they're going to have to answer for that before the Lord. God cares about our words. Why does he care about our words so much? Well, I think he cares about our words so much because of what he says in Matthew 15, 7 through 18. 17 through 18, sorry. Matthew 15, 17 through 18. Jesus says, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But, verse 18, what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. The reason why God cares so much about your words and my words, and the reason why wise living is realizing the power of our words and and using them carefully, is because our words provide a window into our heart. Our words provide a window into our heart. Or if you remember back to our series in James, I love the way that that Kellen put it at that point when he said this, our words can be a tattletale for our heart. Our words reveal what's really going on inside. Luke says this, or records this in in Luke 6.45. Jesus said this, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person, he says, out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the mouth that produces good is speaking out of a good heart. The mouth that produces evil is speaking out of a corrupt and evil and wicked heart. Students, how's your heart? Your mouth is going to reveal that. Your mouth, the words that you speak, is going to, to broadcast for others What's going on inside? Because as James says in James chapter, uh, five, James chapter 3, sorry, verses 11 and 12, James says this, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? The answer is no, of course not. Or verse 12, Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, they can't. Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. A, a, a corrupt heart can't speak good things. Good things before the Lord, that is. And a good heart is going to speak good things and not evil and not wicked things. And so students, be on guard with what you say. Realize the power of your words. Verse 14. Verse 14, Solomon says this, A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. So we're still talking a little bit about the mouth, but this is the fool now uh, saying, this is what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. So we're just going to glance off this point because we talked about it a lot last week. But this is another key to our wise living. And it's our third point this week. It's this. It's if you want to live wisely under the sun, recognize the unpredictability of life. Recognize the unpredictability of life. Again, we we talked about this last week. Uh, Ecclesiastes 9, 11 and 12. Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For a man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. See, we can't predict what tomorrow's gonna hold. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna hold. We talked about this last week. If you didn't listen to that message, go back and listen to it. It talks all about, this is the main point of last week's message, that life is unpredictable. Life under the sun is unpredictable. 
And so as we're looking to live wisely under the sun, we need to recognize that fact. Verse 18 says, through sloth, the roof sinks in and through indolence, the house leaks. Through sloth, the roof sinks in and and through indolence, through laziness, through neglect, uh, he says that the the house leaks. The the fourth point here in, in living wisely while we live under the sun is this, that if we want to do that, it means that we need to work hard and own your responsibilities. Work hard and own your responsibilities. Recently, in fact, even preparing for this, it was timely uh, in God's providence in our lives. We had a leak in our house. Uh, we had a leak just inside our garage door. There was a, a, a looked up at the ceiling as I was walking out one morning, and I noticed that there was the, the brown staining that comes when wa- there's a water leak in your house. And I saw that there, and I thought to myself, oh, man, I need to deal with that. It, because when you see evidence of water damage and evidence of a leak, you don't know how bad it is above that. You don't know if this is a gushing pipe, although you can listen to the walls and figure that out, but you don't know how bad this drip is, how long it's been dripping, how much water is amassing there, if there's mold growing in there, if it's doing structural damage to the wood that's up there or anything else. So you need to deal with it. And so I called our landlord and said, hey, we've got a leak and uh, we got somebody out. They cut the, the ceiling open and sure enough, right above that, that portion of the ceiling was a part of copper pipe and there were some holes that was causing water to drip down onto the ceiling there. If we had neglected that, if we let that go and said, oh, don't worry about it, eventually it would have continued to corrupt and, and degrade that portion of ceiling. And the ceiling may have eventually fallen through. But even worse than that, that pipe would have continued to corrode and degrade. The, the holes that were causing just drips of water at that time would have widened and gotten bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually the pipe would have burst and the damage would have been much, much, much worse. Solomon's saying, you and I, if we don't take care of the the leaks in our lives, can have irreparable damage done to our lives, just like if we had neglected that leak at my house. That if we don't take care of what needs to be taken care of, if we don't maintain our, our house, if we don't maintain our lives the way that we need to and take care of it and address issues that need to be addressed, guys, that, uh, it, it may be that, that we have a little bit of time here, but eventually that's going to cave in. Eventually, that's going to lead to our downfall. It's going to lead to our destruction. And so I want you to think about three areas of your life where leaks can crop can, can, can creep in, where leaks can show up that you need to deal with. And if you don't, it can cause irreparable damage. The first one I want you to think about is, is your spiritual life. Spiritually, you can have a leak in your life by not doing the, the daily Bible reading. Or maybe your leak spiritually in your life is that you haven't been praying. You've just been neglecting prayer. It's, it's something that you do before meals, but that's really it. You're not going before the Lord on a regular basis and, and praying the way that he wants you to. Or maybe your leak in your life is, is you're not really showing up for your small group. And I don't mean just attendance here. I mean that maybe you're showing up physically, but you're not really there. You're just doing it to check a box, maybe to impress your leader or maybe to get your leader off your back or whatever it is. But you're just showing up to check a box. That's, that's not showing up for your small group. And that's a, a spiritual leak in your life. Or maybe you've got a spiritual leak in your life that's not investing in godly relationships. I'm not just talking dating relationships. I'm talking friendships here. That you don't have godly friends surrounding you in your life. And those are, are all of those things are spiritual leaks in your life that need to be addressed because of the damage they can do in your life. But I also want you to think not just spiritually, but also building off that last point, relationally. Relationally. You may have leaks in your life from a relationship standpoint. 
You may be in, a, in an ungodly relationship right now. You may be in a relationship with a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's not a follower of Jesus Christ, and you know inside that that is wrong, that you shouldn't be in that relationship, but you continue to rationalize and make excuses, and you continue to find reasons why you need to stay in this relationship or why you want to stay in this relationship. Maybe even sit there with your small group leader as they're telling you, you, you know what, you need to get out of this relationship, and you sit there and you nod your head in agreement, and you go, yeah, I know, you're right, I, I really do, and then you walk away with absolutely no intention of following through with ending it. Students, that's a leak in your life that can do irreparable damage to you. Or maybe you're not surrounding yourself with believers as your closest friends. Your closest friends are, are all unbelievers, non-Christians. And it's not that you can't have any non-Christian friends in your life, but when those are your closest friends, what will happen, is, as the scriptures say, is, is bad company corrupts good morals. It's the old student ministry youth group illustration that I used to use where I would stand up on a chair and I would bring... Uh, somebody up and, and I would say, okay, I want you to, to pull me off the chair. And they would reach up and they would grab me and they'd pull me down and it was the easiest thing for them to do. But then I would say, okay, I'm going to try to lift you up to me on the chair. And, and I, I couldn't do it because it's so much harder to lift somebody up to where you are than for them to pull you down to where they are. Students, that's what happens to you when you have uh, close friends, close relationships that are ungodly, that aren't Christians. Another leak is just retreating from relationships, keeping everybody at arm's length, keeping everybody distant and saying, I, I, I'm not going to let my guard down with everybody or with anybody for that matter. I'm going to keep everybody at, at bay. That's a leak relationally that can do damage to your life. There's another one and that's societally. You can have a leak in your life as it comes to your role in society. Maybe that leak is, is you're not working. And I understand some of you right now are not working because you can't because of the coronavirus and everything else. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person that's choosing not to work, the person that's choosing not to engage and be a contributing member of society. Maybe you have a job and, and your leak is that you're not working hard at that job. You're not giving it everything that you've got. You're not doing your work as unto the Lord when you're there to work. You're cutting corners and you're being lazy when you're at work. It's a leak in your life. Maybe you're not paying bills on time. Maybe you've got credit cards and you're amassing massive amounts of debt right now. That's a leak in your life that needs to be addressed uh, from a, a society standpoint. And then finally, the, the, the issue of your studies. As a student, maybe you're neglecting your studies. Your leak is you're not applying yourself and taking advantage of, of the resources God has provided you. Students, as as just that as students, if you are a student, you are a steward of an education that God has entrusted to you. What are you doing with that? Are you neglecting it? Are you setting aside or are you getting after it? Are you doing it hard? Are you working hard again as to the Lord when you're working hard in your studies? That can also be a leak in your life. And if, if we neglect these leaks, there's going to be greater damage done to our lives. Spiritually, if you neglect the spiritual leaks in your life, you're going to find that eventually your, your walk with Christ is just dry and ineffective. You're going to find that you're calloused and hardened to the, the conviction and leading of the Spirit in your life. And the worst case scenario is you may find yourself on that final day, as Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, saying, Lord, Lord, didn't I, didn't I do all these things? Didn't I know you? Didn't, didn't I, I, I go to church and I read my Bible when I, it was convenient for me? Didn't I do these things? And, and Jesus is going to say to you, depart from me, for I never knew you. See, students, if we have a, a spiritual laziness about us, there's a great danger there to us. There's a danger not just temporarily. There is a temporal danger there. There's a great danger to us eternally 
Because to be a follower of Christ is to be a zealous pursuer of Jesus. Does that mean you're not going to have your, your off days, your, your down times, your, your times of, of dryness? No, you're going to have those times. But it's what do you do in those times? Do you sit there content with those times or do you run harder after Christ? Do you do everything that you can to come out of those times? That's the key. Relationally, those leaks in your life can lead to you being in compromising sinful situations that you never imagined you would be. They can lead to situations where you're spiritually stunted as a result of not having godly voices in your life. You can find yourself in a position of being depressed and, and, and suffocating under the weight of your loneliness and anxiety if you retreat from everybody and keep everybody at arm's length. Those leaks can do damage to your lives. How about societally? You can find yourself out of work and unhirable. You can find yourself with a resume with a bunch of failed jobs and short stints because you didn't work hard at the jobs that you had. You can find yourself facing creditors and insurmountable debt because you weren't a wise steward of your money. You can find yourselves really with limited options when it comes to your career or your life after school because you never really applied yourself when you were in school. See, these leaks in our lives, we have to be careful. We have to work hard and own our responsibilities. What does God expect of me? I need to make sure I'm guarding against these leaks because I don't want the roof to cave in. Look at verse 20. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Now, we're not talking about Harry Potter and, and actual birds going and, and talking or anything else like that. We're talking about the, the fact that we need to be careful about grumbling is what Solomon's talking about here. And that's our final point in this message this week. It's to live wisely under the sun. Guard against a grumbling spirit. Guard against a grumbling spirit. Even in your thoughts, he says, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. The, the thought life in your bedroom. Uh, those are probably the two places in your life where you experience the most privacy, at least perceived privacy, right? You think that when you're in your room by yourself, if you say something to yourself in there, it's just you and the four walls. Or in your mind, if you uh, grumble in your mind, if you think something in your mind negatively, that it's, it's just between you and, and your brain and your, the synapses that are firing there. It's not hurting anybody for you to do that. This COVID-19 situation, this lockdown, this quarantine has provided plenty of opportunities for us to grumble. I know I've struggled with it as well. And, and you hear the governor doing things and you go, oh man, it really again, longer now? And it's an opportunity for us to embrace a sinful mindset and a sinful attitude, which is what grumbling is, right? And the thing that we need to understand and that we need to realize is even in the, the privacy of our bedrooms, even in the privacy of our own minds, if we are grumbling, if we are complaining in our thoughts, that God knows that, that God's aware of that. Charles Spurgeon once said this, he said, thoughts are as speech before the Lord. Thoughts are as speech before the Lord. In other words, he knows your thoughts. He hears the things that you think. And so when we grumble in our minds, when we harbor bitterness in our thoughts, God is aware of that. We see that even in the gospels, Matthew 9, 4. Jesus, it says, knowing their thoughts said to them, why do you think evil in your hearts? Jesus responds to the Pharisees. He says, knowing their thoughts, why do you think evil in your hearts? Or Matthew 12, 25. He did it other places. Matthew 12, 25. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, every kingdom divided against itself has laid waste and no city or house divided against itself will stand. This is when they were accusing him of, of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And Jesus says, knowing their thoughts, he answers them, right? 
or Luke 6, 8. But Jesus knew their thoughts and he said to the man with the withered hand, come on, stand here. And he arose and stood there. So Jesus is getting ready to, to heal a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are thinking to themselves, let's, let's see if he does this so we can catch him. And Jesus is knowing their thoughts. See, students, God knows your thoughts. He knows when you grumble. He knows when we complain. He knows when we're just murmuring against people in our spirits and in our minds. And grumbling and complaining, even to ourselves, is sin against God. It transgresses his commands. Philippians 2.14. I'm sure your parents quoted this to you. Do everything without what? Grumbling or disputing or complaining. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. All right, so when I grumble and complain... When I'm doing something, that transgresses the fact that I'm supposed to do everything without those things, right? Or Jude 1.16. These are the grumblers, malcontents. There's the, the word right there, right? Malcontent. Man, I don't want to be somebody who's considered malcontent, that I'm, that I'm not thankful, I'm not grateful, but that's what grumbling is. Jude 1.16. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. He's talking about false teachers in that. Man, I, I don't want to be coupled with false teachers with how I, I think about my lockdown situation or whatever it may be. I don't want to be a grumbler and a complainer. I don't want to be a malcontent, right? Why? Because it's, it betrays a heart that misunderstands the whole point of the book of Ecclesiastes so far. When I grumble and complain, what I'm revealing about my heart is I'm revealing that my heart is telling me this life under the sun is everything. And then this life under the sun is where I should find joy and satisfaction and hope and peace and contentment. But the reality is it's not at all. This life is not where I should find any of those things. So when I grumble and I complain, I'm, I'm going against the entirety of what we've studied in Ecclesiastes so far, which the whole point of the book is get over the sun, right? Under the sun is vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And so while we live here under the sun, what that means is we need to live content regardless of circumstances as we trust that the life to come over the sun is gonna be far better than anything this life provides. So be thankful, students. As we talked about last week, be thankful in your prayer life to the Lord. Thank him for the days that you have. At the end of the days, thank him for the day that you had. Pray throughout the day and just be mindful of, of God's good gifts and blessings to you in your life. Actually sit down and pull out a piece of paper and write down what are the good things that God did for me today and make it, make, make it thorough. Did you get in your car and drive somewhere? That was God's goodness in your life that number one, you had a car to drive. Number two, that you got from point A to point B without being T-boned by somebody out there. Is your health good? Well, that's a gift of God. Do you have food on the table? That's a, a gift of God. See, students, when we begin to, to, to really drill down, our reasons for grumbling and complaining quickly begin to fade away when we fill it instead and fill our minds instead with all the good things that God has provided for us. So do that. Guard against the grumbling spirit by filling your mind with the good things that God has done in and for you. We don't know how long this life is going to last for us under the sun. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know what the next week is going to bring. We don't know what the next month is going to bring. Certainly in this time, right? None of us know that. We basically, the only thing that we know, and even this is not for certain, is the next breath that we're going to take. That's a, a gift from God. And so as we think about our life under the sun, yes, we accept each and every day as a gift from God. And yes, we embrace every single day and we say, I'm going to live this life and live this day with all of my might while I have it to live. And what Solomon has done for us in this chapter, in chapter 10, 
is he's given us a blueprint for what that should look like. He's given us a roadmap for how do we get from where we are to where we want to be. Again, if, if I'm sitting there watching the exercise videos and I'm thinking to myself, well, all I have to do is buy that exercise machine and then I'm going to look like that person. Man, I'm fooling myself, right? Similarly, students, if, if we think to ourselves, well, all I have to do is read my Bible and do my DBR and say a prayer every once in a while and show up at small group and then all of a sudden I'm going to be godly and pleasing the Lord. No, we're fooling ourselves. See, for an unhealthy person to go to a healthy person is a total lifestyle change. And for you to go from living the way that you are, whether you're living wisely or not, to living even more wisely, right, which all of us can excel still more, is going to involve an entire lifestyle commitment. It's going to involve everything in our lives the integrity of our, our entire lives. It involves the words that we say because that, it reveals what's in our hearts. It involves our humility to understand that we can't predict tomorrow and so we need to live dependent on the Lord. It involves working hard and owning the responsibilities that God has given to us. And certainly it also involves guarding against a grumbling, malcontent spirit. This is what it looks like to live wisely. This is Solomon's field guide to surviving life under the sun. Solomon's guide to wise living. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray and ask that you would enable us to live wisely, to live more wisely perhaps than we have been. Some of us, Lord, I know are watching this and, and feeling the weight of conviction and saying, man, I, I need, to, I need to, to, to do better in these areas. I need to change things about my life in some of these areas. And so I pray, Lord, for those students that they would, uh, that they would not be able to escape the, the weight of conviction until that's done Lord, some of our students are watching this and they're thinking to themselves, you know, this has been encouraging because I've been living this way and this is just an encouragement to see that this is really what I should be doing. And I just pray for those students, God, that you would encourage them to excel still more, that you would guard them against uh, pride or self-righteousness and thinking that they're, they're set, that they're done, that there's, there's nothing left to do, but that you would make them aware that there's always room to continue to strive forward, to embrace what the Apostle Paul to say, forgetting what lies behind, I strain on to what lies ahead because I'm not there yet, but I'm gonna press on towards the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus, my Lord. God, make that our ambition and our desire as we strive to live lives of wisdom while we live under the sun and we seek to follow what Solomon has laid out for us as this survival guide to wise living under the sun. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.